world hello i am absolutely buzzing to share this interview with you guys i'm talking to the incredible megan hine and oh this interview was just epic so megan is a survival expert an expedition leader and an author her book is called mind of a survivor and i absolutely loved it if you guys have got audible or a kindle reader or just like to get the the real thing in your hands get her book um the lessons that you can learn from it her experiences you just need to inhale them and it will really make you think about your environment and the world around you and about survival and make you question your own mindset and what you would do in these situations. So today we had a really, really good chat and we kind of touched on the book a little bit as well as some of the other lessons that she has learnt. And I just absolutely loved it. I could have spoken to Meg for hours, but I won't tease you any longer. It's coming up, I promise. As always, make sure that you subscribe to Tribe Talk, five-star review and rate us just so that we can keep sharing. Also, remember to go and follow me on Instagram at Healthy Balance with Emily and follow the podcast at Tribe Talk Podcast. But without further ado, here is Meg. Hi, I'm Megan Hine, wilderness guide, survivalist and author. Um, I spend around 10 to 11 months of the year overseas in some of the world's most exciting, extreme and remote environments. I'm really fascinated by survival stuff and your book, I thought the lessons in your book were so interesting and it really got me thinking as well because you don't just talk about the physical aspect of survival, you also are really interested in the psychology of it. Um, and I know that when you first started your degree, you had that experience where you were camping solo and you discovered that you kind of went through a bit of an out-of-body experience. And, and that was where that psychological, um, almost spiritual side as well came out. So I wondered if you could just explain a little bit, of a bit about that and, and actually how you got into what you do now. Yeah, so that um, event was in the Picos de Europa in Spain, and it was during a degree that I did in outdoor education or outdoor studies, uh, which I did in the Lake District. Um, and that module was called, called a personal response to a mountain environment. And the aim of it was to go off into the mountains uh, on our own and I suppose kind of report back at the end of the, the these few days that we were up there. We were up there for about a week, I think it was. Um, on on how we felt in that environment when we were alone. Um, I mean, by that by that stage, I'd done a lot of outdoor work. You know, I'd, I'd already picked up my basic engineering qualifications and things, and was actually taking people out already. So I was already I was kind of funding my way through university uh, with the outdoor qualifications I'd picked up. Um, but the uh, this personal response to mountain environment was quite eye opening, and it was one of those key moments that I remember very clearly in my life of kind of changing my perspective on things. Um, and basically we all went up into this beautiful valley, uh, sort of mountain valley quite high up in the Picos de Europa. And it's a really rugged area and it's kind of like stepping back several hundred years in time, uh, their farming techniques and things. And there was, there was quite a few of us that went up there, sort of maybe 12, 13 people. 
and most people well everybody <laughs> took a tent with them apart from myself part of my um, idea was to actually just to take up as little as I could so I just had a sleeping bag and a bivy bag which is like a waterproof bag that goes over the top of your sleeping bag um, and a sleep mat uh, and an axe and that was it I didn't <laughs> I didn't take anything else with me um, and I very quickly sort of went off by myself and I found this incredible boulder, this huge boulder that had enough of a space underneath it, like a little cave underneath it that I could crawl into and sort of make it my home. And I built up the little wall around it and, and, and things. Um, and I couldn't see anybody else from where I was. There was nobody in the vicinity. And I hadn't taken a watch with me, so I decided I wasn't going to take any way of telling the time um, and have very little connection to, you know, to the outside world, didn't have a phone or anything. Um, and I just remember it just being the most incredible experience because I didn't have any food with me and I didn't find myself hungry at all. And the very first night I was there, it started snowing um, and it snowed pretty heavily for the rest of the week that we were up there. Um, and it was just the most... I don't know, it's an incredible experience. And I kept, I did, I kept a journal uh, while I was up there, which like sort of when I read back on it now, seems a little bit uh, sort of crazy, <laughs> all the things that I was writing about in it. Um, and uh, a lot of it was to do with uh, the way that I viewed the world and the way I interacted with the world and the world around me. Uh, and I felt like I entered this very like childlike state, not childish, like, you know, child, mm. uh, childlike um, in the way that I viewed the world around me. And it was like a different part of me, like the eyes were open and, you know, I was seeing nature in the same way that, you know, I had as a child um, and was kind of playing and experimenting around with it. And it was it was a really powerful experience. Um, and I don't remember feeling hungry um and I, I just went had these sort of, sort of went with the sort of rhythms of the day i'd get up when i woke up i'd go explore i'd go find my water for the day um and there was a little mouse that lived under the boulder with me as well <laughs> which would occasionally come through like dragging a seed or something that it had found <laughs> and i'd be quite jealous of this little mouse um but I, yeah, I didn't see anybody for the first week. And then at the end of it, I came to go back down um, to meet up with everybody. And <laughs> there was only one other person left up there. Oh my God. <laughs> everyone, else, yeah, everyone else had given up. And I, and I really, truly believe it was because they'd all taken tents with them. And then because the weather had been so bad, uh, they then shut themselves in their tents and just become very bored uh, and hadn't had that external world to kind of interact with. Um, which I had had. And so, you know, I hadn't been bored watching the world go by. Um, and there was just something really, I was very grateful about that experience. And I think something that we're missing from our modern society is kind of coming of age ceremonies, which still happen in a lot of cultures that I visit. Um, you know, teenage boys, when they come of age or teenage girls uh, will go off into the, you know, into the forest or there'll be sort of rites around, you know, menstruation and things. And we just don't have them in our culture. There's no kind of clear point from, you know, childhood to adulthood, really. You're kind of just thrust out there. Whereas something like this, you know, which builds confidence in yourself um, and, you know, show, like proves to yourself that you, you can actually do these things. Uh, I think it's such an empowering experience. I love that. And I love the fact that uh, you're so right. We don't have those coming of age 
moments really and and even just thinking about I mean looking back on say my life really it just feels like suddenly I woke up and I'm an adult and I'm supposed to pay my mortgage and I've got people to look after and you know it suddenly happened we don't have those those experiences and it's it's quite interesting actually because my mum is a somebody who's very she she loves the, the outdoors she loves to um she loves to climb she's very adventurous and she currently lives in the forest of Dean so she will go out with her husband and they they forage and things like that um she had a bit of a a, a misstep a couple of years ago when she ate some mushrooms that oh, no. ended up being hallucinogenic <laughs> mushrooms oh, <wow>. <laughs> <laughs> and she had to go to hospital and get a stomach pumped uh, <laughs> at the age of uh, what 50 something which made us all like, giggle quite a lot um <laughs> but <laughs> we were actually there on the weekend and we were talking about this and she was saying how it's quite scary that a lot of children, these, especially these days, and, and not just in, a re- in recent times, but as technology and even science has progressed, they are so shut away from nature. And she came across a, a family um, in the woods the other day, and she was foraging for blackberries. And the children apparently kind of went up to her and, and were like, what are you doing? Like, what? And she was like, it, it's fine. You can eat them. They're blackberries. And they kind of looked and they were like, oh, but they're dirty. That's disgusting. They're dirty. They're from a bush. And even apparently the the parent was a little bit nervous about his children eating blackberries. I'm not sure if it's just because there was a strange woman in the forest being like, have some blackberries. <laughs> but But yeah, no, we were talking about the fact that it is, it's quite scary how, you know, how, unless you're either around people that are really interested in things like foraging or climbing or adventuring, it's probably quite easy to to get lost in this bubble of modern day society. Yeah, I think we've, we've just become so removed from like, I suppose, what in a sense is our natural habitats. Uh, and this is something that I firmly believe in is that although we've evolved in some ways, we still have a primitive brain um, within our minds. Like the way I kind of see it is like we've kind of got two minds going on inside our heads. We've got like our animal mind, which is all about instinct and sort of reacting to um you know stimuli that are coming in and that's kind of you know the fight flight freeze mechanisms these are all part of that animal brain which is you know very very ancient and you know our dogs have got it cats have got it you know wild animals have got this uh, animal brain but what we've developed is sort of this human brain as well this modern brain um, and it's like they're two, two almost very separate things. And because the, I believe because the animal mind is so old and it reacts so quickly. I mean, if you ever knocked over like a beer bottle or a wine bottle and caught it, <laughs> you know, without your conscious mind actually even thinking about it, you know, that's that animal brain, you know, those instincts, those reactions, it's all the survival mechanisms that have been inbuilt over the years. And that, that human mind is the one that kind of lives in the modern world, the one that's kind of present um, uh, and sort of, you know, makes, is the logical reasoning in, in the mind. 
and you know I think because of the way that we live now we've separated ourselves away so much from how we used to live that we've also um, we've lost the ability to actually be able to express ourselves um, and to be basically to be able to meet the needs of that animal mind so you know the way I a lot of kids now live and I used to do a lot of overseas expedition with kids you typically 16 to 18 year olds um, and we'd go away for, for month-long expeditions and you know I'd typically be sent out to do the more challenging ones so we'd go out to Nepal to climb mountains or uh, to do jungle survival and we'd go away for a month and you know I, I put the kids in charge of the budget in charge of booking accommodation um, all of this like stuff that you know that they don't get to do in everyday life because their lives are so structured um and i think this is a problem even with adults as well is how structured our lives are that there's no room for things like creativity um initiative um you know even to allow like our intuition that kind of sixth sense um to have a part of it as well you know we're told how to behave um, we're told you know social norms and what's acceptable and you know things like sort of creativity um, are really really important and they're part of this what I believe anyway is they're part of that animal mind because it was that again they were survival mechanisms that were that we evolved to have within us because like the imagination and the creativity would have been would have allowed you know me to be able to as a scout you know going off to find potential food sources to be able to come back having found a herd of reindeer and to be able to narrate to you where those reindeer are you know so you know i can ex i can describe to you what the landscape looks like um, and you now have an imagination because your brain has evolved to have this imagination that you can then picture you know and in your mind you can walk through and then you can follow those directions to actually go and find those reindeer. And that's what helped us evolve as human beings. And, you know, if we can't allow our minds to be able to explore those avenues, then they kind of feel repressed. Um, and I think a lot of this stuff then kind of leads on to anxiety and depression, because I basically we're just not meeting the needs of that animal mind and then the human mind on top of that. And, and these expeditions that I take away where the kids would then be in charge suddenly they're handed like a lot of responsibility <laughs> and I'm there to facilitate it and you know inevitably you know in that first week or so it all kind of goes to shit and uh, you know at some point it's like typically within the like fourth or fifth day something will kick off and we'll be called like myself and there's usually a school teacher as well would be called into the table uh, and basically something would have gone wrong <laughs> and we'd have let it go wrong um and we'd be called in and they'd be like we'd sit down these all these like you know usually sort of 12 of them sort of accusatory faces looking at us and being like well you're the adults why have you guys not sorted this out for us or stop this happening and and you look you know you kind of have sit there and like, you know the discussions go round and round and then they're like oh hang on a minute this is our trip you know <laughs> mm. and then they'd like you know you'd sit there for an hour or so and towards the end of it, you know, each one of them would then take ownership of the expedition because there would be like this realization of like, wow, actually, you know, this is our trip. You know, everything now, like the budget, the accommodation, everything, we need to take ownership of this because nobody else is going to do it for us. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I would love that because you'd, I'd always felt like I brought back young adults and they weren't children anymore. Um, you know, and I'm still in touch with some of these these kids. Well, they're not kids anymore, but um, that, you know, that I guided, you know, 15, 16 years ago. Um, I still get emails from them. So it's obviously to do stuff like that is, is so impactful. 
Uh, and I just, unfortunately, I just don't think, you know, all kids have, have opportunities to be able to go off and do stuff like that. Mm, yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. Um, taking it right back, what, what ignited this fire for you? Because it's, I guess, perhaps not so much anymore. And I don't, I don't really want to make this into necessarily a female male issue. Um, but what, what was it that, that ignited this, this passion for you? Um, I was, I suppose I was very fortunate that all my family holidays when I was a kid were to go off, um, into the mountains. My, both my parents were geographers originally. Um, my dad was a geologist. So a lot of our family holidays were to go to Scotland, to Wales, to the Lake District, usually to go and look at rocks <laughs> and up in the mountains. Um, which, yeah, which I, I really enjoyed doing. Um, and I suppose that there was never any moment that I was ever made to feel bad about, you know, being covered in mud or anything like that. There was never, never a problem, mm. um, which I think has really helped as well for me to be where I am now. Cause there's no, I never had that expectation of, you know, how, how little girls, <laughs> you know, aren't covered in mud. Um, and, uh, I, there was just something about being outside that, always really resonated with me um i found being in the classroom i uh, was trapped sort of within four walls i'd have this anxiety that kind of in my chest um that would rise and i just really struggled to sit still and um usually it would end up with uh, me messing around i could kind of bubble to the service and i'd end up messing around and not being able to sit still and getting sent out <laughs> um and then i suppose i was about 10 and i discovered mountain biking so i I was, I remember cycling home from uh, school one day um, and I, I write about this in my book as well, but um, I remember I was just cycling home from school one day on my dad's old bike and I just wondered if I could cycle along uh, the Malvern Hills, which is <laughs> it's where we both kind of grew up at one point or another. Um, and I remember just thinking, I wonder if I can cycle along here, you know, can, can I make the bike go up and down these, <laughs> these hills? So I was like, I, off I went and I just gave it a go. And I just remember there was this just one really defining moment as I was coming down um, off the Worcestershire Beacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's quite on one side of it, there's quite this sort of steep and gravelly um, track. And I remember coming down and the brakes didn't really work. And I had my fingers jammed on the brakes trying to stop. And you know, now I know like the more you jam on the brakes, the more you skid. Um, and I was like skidding down this path sideways, desperately trying to hold on. But I just remember having this huge grin on my face oh, and the basket had fallen off the back and was kind of dragging along by, <laughs> making like such a noise coming down. Uh, but I just had this huge grin on my face because it was just like, you know, there was something about it suddenly like, you know, I'd found freedom, I'd found myself, you know. And from that moment, it everything became about... Um, discovering my own limits so pushing my limits pushing my boundaries um, you know see what could I ride up what could I ride down Um, I really got into cross-country running you know how far could I go what could I push myself through Uh, and at the time I knew nothing about training principles Um, I would train every day and I'd go out and I'd ride crazy distances like looking back on it crazy distances every day so I bike usually bike and run every day Um, and there would be days you know, and now I understand why, but uh, there would be days when, you know, I felt like crap and my body seat was going really slow and things. And on those days I'd be annoyed with myself and I'd push myself harder and, um, 
you know, and I was thinking that I was getting unfit, <laughs> which is <so> stupid. <laughs> um, and, you know, so I pushed myself harder. And, and I think that has hugely influenced uh, my ability to be able to deal with things like pain and kind of not giving up um, and has enabled me then to be able to work with other people in those environments because it, I can distance myself from my own so suffering, if you like, um, mm -hmm. be able to focus on, on my clients. Um, but that is totally not the way to train <laughs> for any listeners wanting to get into any form of physical activity. <laughs> you need have a break every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you, I mean, talking of breaks, are you, are you able to give yourself a break every now and then, or are you one of those people who you've got a goal and you train and that's kind of where you're headed to. And then once that's finished, it's on to the next. Or do you allow yourself that, that those moments of, I don't know, sitting in your pajamas on in front of the TV? <laughs> um, I honestly, I find it really, really hard. And it's something that I know that I personally need to do more of. It's, it's something that I recognize in myself that I, that's something I need to work on. And it's not really that I have um, specific goals. I did early on in my career. Um, and I just realized that actually for me, having a very strict goal, because I tend to, you know, if I, if I start try experimenting with something or do or aiming at something I become very fixated on that um and you know I, I let, don't let anything get in the way and that, that's where I'm going um and I found that was actually quite restrictive because it means that you're well for me I was losing opportunities that were arising around that um so I initially had to, my goal was all about becoming an IFMGA mountain guide like an international mountain guide that was my ultimate goal with with what I was achieving or what what I wanted to do um, and then so everything was sort of around going into the mountains and then I started working in TV um, and I started leading expeditions and sort of working more with bushcraft and survival stuff and suddenly I was being sent out to the jungle or being sent out to deserts uh, and I was going to all these different environments um, and I, I initially struggled actually with that sort of not being in the mountains um but then i very quickly realized i was having these amazing experiences and each environment has its own um sort of ups and downs you know things that are very difficult within those environments and things that you have to overcome in those environments um and suddenly you know i started enjoying it but had i stayed so fixated on the mountains you know i wouldn't have had all the opportunities that i've had uh, in my career and sort of in my personal life since um so for me it's you know it's about i guess my I'm just so fascinated to see, you know, where things go, um, you know, and taking opportunities and just pushing things, pushing limits, just to see, see what happens. And I suppose that's what drives me really. Yeah. I think from reading your book as well, you, it, you seem to have found that lovely mix between creativity and kind of going with the flow as well as having this, this drive and determination and it's and th through your career and through your own personal experiences as well it just seems to you seem to have found this kind of gel and this kind of <laughs> yeah. ultimate ultimate composition um yeah, i think so i think i'm like on expeditions um you know because i do work in some pretty extreme environments and you know stuff that does go wrong there's an inherent risk in those environments 
Um, and you have to be able to go with the flow in those environments. You cannot be so strict in the way you're thinking. Otherwise, you know, it'll get, well, potentially get you and your team in a lot of trouble, if not kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so uh, the way that I deal with that then is to have a very structured system. So when I'm setting up expeditions for private clients um, or when I'm setting up um tv shows for the safety on the tv shows uh there'll be a real real structure to that so it's like a safety net underneath it you know so i know exactly you know how to get people out um i know where we should be at certain times you know i've got uh, backups in place because i know that once we get out there into the field out remotely um things are never going to go as they were planned <laughs> and something will change but it allows you then to be like oh well it doesn't matter you know we've still got this uh, safety net behind us um and that's that's really really important uh, but yeah once you're out there in the field like i can't i can't afford to you know be really strict in in my in the structure of, of thinking because you know things change and people react in different ways and the environment changes mm. and i guess that's kind of a good replica of life really isn't it you can have all the best laid plans but it doesn't always go that way does it no totally and I, you know and i think that's like you said it totally applies to everyday life um you know every we can build our safety nets you know financially you know you can invest in property or you know pay into ices you know whatever it is like sort of financially build those security nets and you know structure you know have those things in place yeah, but if you're so structured in the way that you view your life and your career, um, I suppose the way I see it is, you know, when you're trying to get through a door and the door's locked and you're so focused on getting through that door that that's all you can see is this door and you're there and you're hammering on this door trying to get through it and you just can't, um, you know, you, you just because that structure's in place. But then, you know, then you step back and you accept that the door isn't going to open and you know suddenly there's other opportunities or other options available and you notice that the window next to the door is open and you can actually climb in through that window yeah you know, so so i think yeah i think it's really important now, particularly in the way that um sort of modern life is now um is that we you know allow ourselves the um the possibility to be open to other options and you know and accepting that and acknowledging the fact that it is okay sometimes, you know, to give up on things, you know, you know, if you're constantly striving for one thing and it's just not working, then step back from it, you know, step back and like look around because, you know, chances are there's another way to achieve the goal of whatever it is you're achieving or, you know, maybe there's something much better just around the corner. Mm. I am. Um, one thing that I did in your book, you, you mention about uh, going back to kind of the, the way that, you can expand that creativity with children is um, to look around you, what you, what you've got and what, what could, what you could use in a survival situation. And um, I was think I was driving back to Oxford with my husband and my stepson, he's 10. And normally he's all about kind of Minecraft or whatever it is. I'm definitely not down with the kids anymore, but whatever game is that they play. Um, but instead, I was like, okay, right, imagine that we got stranded in this car and all we had for survival was what's in the car. What could we do? And it was such a good game to play and it entertained him. He was actually really good at it as well because he wasn't just able to see things for what they were. He was able to see things for what they could be. And I think 
that that lesson that you that or that that kind of game that you outline in your book is a really useful one because instead of looking at the world and seeing things for as they are as as they are it, having that creative mind having that curious mind to be able to look at something and see it for all the potential that could be I think is such a great lesson to learn yeah I, I love that that's such a cool story <laughs> because little kids are so good at this because they haven't you know had um, society structure on them in the way that we as adults do and you know they haven't become you know worn out by life and things and just you know heads down you know just grinding away each day um and I love that you know when you give a kid like you know an item and like how many different things can you do with this yeah it's, it's really cool but you know these games are not just limited to um to children either like they're great to play with adults yeah, yeah I tend to because this is something I well I actually do this all the time um when I'm guiding uh, and I know I write about this in in the book but uh, I call it scenario planning um and part of the reason why I do this is because uh, my job is very physically demanding and mentally demanding as well and I need to stay focused I need to stay switched on and doing this actually helps keep my brain awake <laughs> um, and what I'm doing basically all the time that I'm not actually sort of super present you know with uh, an activity you know for example if you know I'm walking along a trail with some clients or you know an approach to a climb um, I am running scenarios through my head so kind of what ifs you know so what if my client fell off the side of the path here you know there's a big drop how would I get them back up you know I haven't got a rope uh, with 24 hours from help you know how would I get uh, my my client out of there and safety um, and it, it may sound a little bit morbid, um, but then, you know, I am looking after the lives of other people. So, um, but what I'm doing in these scenarios is kind of tricking my brain into believing that it's already dealt with these scenarios before, um, because the brain can't really differentiate between that real versus like the imaginary. <laughs> mm. um, so I am like, I'm training my brain to be able to react instantaneously. Um, that it's been through similar scenarios before and this has really helped me out uh, on numerous occasions because when stuff starts going wrong in the wilderness often things snowball very very quickly um, and it's really important to be able to like nip it in the bud like as soon as possible uh, to stop it becoming a serious incident because you know sometimes we are in situations where you know we are you know 24 hours from help and we can't get a helicopter in at night because helicopters can't fly at night um and you have to be self-sustainable so you know a lot of what i'm doing is preventative measures to ensure that you know these things never happen um and then sort of doing that scenario planning prepares me just in case something does happen and i can instantly step in and make strong decisions as a leader um, and these are these are things that can be used in everyday life as well. I know that you know athletes use um, visualization techniques, um, you know, to help them win, and it's scientifically proven that these things, you know, actually do help people. But we can do it in our everyday lives as well. You know, imagining things like, uh, you know, interactions with people. If you're lacking in confidence, you know, it's imagining, you know, replaying conversations that you've had with somebody during the day that has kind of left you feeling a little bit um you know less than you should be is to then replay those and like you know have those discussions about what you would like to say you know and i think particularly for women um 
you know, we're, we're brought up and we're taught to be good little girls, you know, sugar and spice and all things nice, you know, <laughs> to, to be seen and not heard, um, which is a very different message than little boys get taught as they grow up. Um, and this kind of reflects in, her, in our interactions in adulthood and I think also leads a lot to, um, you know, anxiety and depression in women and also holds women back from, you know, from pushing themselves forwards for, you know, career opportunities and things. Um, so, you know, I think these sort of visualisation techniques are really good at, you know, overcoming this as well and empowering yourself. So tricking your mind into believing, you know, that you are actually you know stronger than you feel right now <laughs> and it's incredible like they it really is like incredible like the actual effects um of, of doing this are mm. i'm really like i'm really glad you said that because i think the mind is so powerful and i always grew up as a bit of a tomboy um i i was always the one in the like, like playing football with the boys and that kind of thing um and i i the sugar spice and everything nice kind of never really resulted with me like I always said I was built on sarcasm wine and everything fine um not that I drink wine anymore but uh it was that that it's that kind of change of mindset and that empowerment that we can really get from our own minds that I think is is fascinating and I'm also really glad that you said about you know being able to prepare yourself for these scenarios because I'm a bit obsessed with, uh, there's a book series called The Undead oh, right. by R.R. Hayward, who's a, who's a British author. Um, and he taught, it's basically the, the zombie apocalypse in England. And I really annoy Alan because everywhere we go, I'm like, that would be a really good place to hide out. That would be good <laughs> because it's got loads of resources. So now I can say, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just training my mind. That's all. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> just planning, you know. <laughs> and that is, that's a really good, I mean, that's a really good point, actually, because, um, you know, like the way the political climate is at the moment, you know, it really isn't that long since like the First and Second World War that really like, you know, was a wars on our doorstep that really, you know, rocked and affected everybody's lives. Mm. Um, it really isn't that long ago, yet we are forgetting, you know, and, you know, with how quickly technology and things and warfare techniques have come on you know since then it's a terrifying thought <laughs> to think yeah. that something you know could if something goes wrong you know it's going to go horribly wrong and you know society and culture and everything as we know it would probably completely change and mm. you know the prepper there's a movement called the prepper movement sort of the preparedness movement in the u.s it kind of it started in the u.s and it's kind of filtering through elsewhere and uh, they, they used to get a lot of uh, stick <laughs> and a lot of people laughing at them. Um, and But now there's a lot more attention drawn to that. And, you know, I believe it is because we are in a politically unstable climate at the moment. Mm. Yeah, there's, it, it's like, you know, as we as human beings, like throughout the ages, we just can't leave things be. <laughs> no. You know, whenever something looks like it's settled, we just can't help but poke it to see what happens. Mm. And, this is kind of what seems to be happening at the moment. You know, thing, things have been quite calm for quite a while. Um, and then we have to go and, you know, upend the apple cart just to see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, you know, prepperism and preparing things and, you know, having those scenarios um, playing through your head, you know, are not 
a bad thing. They're not crazy to be doing that. Uh, it's really good to be able to have those, you know, um, those options open just in case, you know, something something does happen, which there's no way that it's something's not going to happen, you know, whether it's in our lifetimes or, you know, much further ahead, something is going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> going to need, you know, those primitive skills again. Yeah. It's it's quite funny in the book it actually says the the characters are all talking and somebody said something like oh, I wonder what Ray Mears is doing is Ray Mears okay like I bet he's fine and <laughs> kind of kind of like talking about this all and then it starts talking about like the survival experts and and whether they would be prepared and whenever I read it I'm just like yeah I think they would I think they I think the survival experts would end up kind of uh, running running things if anything did happen. But then, I, but then, yes and no, because like a huge part of like survival, and this is what I really like, I love about the work I do as well, like um, is seeing who survives and who doesn't. And that was like one of the key parts of like when I wrote my book was like, what is it about some people that allows them to walk out of a scenario and other people just give up? And, you know, and skills is not the answer. Like, obviously, it helps having, you know, having knowledge and skills. Uh, but if you don't have the right mindset um, to actually apply those skills, no matter what the scenario, um, you know, they, they won't help you. Mm. So it's, it really blows my mind. So, you know, I just want to stress to anybody listening that don't assume that you can't survive just because you don't have those, you know, those physical skills. Um, you know, something that I got told very early on in my career uh, when I started working in the bushcraft industry uh, and although I'd got a lot of mountaineering qualifications and experience I didn't have any bushcraft experience um, and my when I asked my um, employer at the time you know why he'd hired me uh, he said you know I can teach you the skills but I can't teach you your mindset <laughs> and that has that stuck with me and that's kind of what I base you know when I employ people for my teams that's kind of what I base you know my um decisions on as well you know the skills i can teach somebody um but i can i can't teach them or i could struggle to teach somebody their mindset and the way that they view the world um, and interact with the world around them um, so never think <laughs> that you won't survive something it's absolutely our minds are absolutely incredible yeah they they are and i think that that mental resilience and and I just find it fascinating. I think I'm there's a there's a part in the book um where you talk about getting bitten by a snake. Tell us the story or you'll, you'll tell it better. <laughs> um so, so yeah, so I I'd been out scouting. So so one of the things that I do um well I suppose the main thing that I do for my job at the moment is work behind the scenes on TV shows. So I go out ahead of time and scout locations and put journeys together um that you then see people presenters then going through in the environment so I was out scouting for one of these um one of these shows and years ago when because uh, I've, I've been working adventure tv now for about 12 years so I'm like years ago there wasn't much money in it and we didn't realize how big these things were going to be so um we would take on myself and like you know some of the key guys that I work with still um we used to do things like animal handling and animal wrangling um, which you know seemed like a bit of a laugh at the time uh but now really in hindsight really wasn't very clever uh and, and one of the things is we, like we were going through the environment um and we were quite a few hours away from help 
uh, and I was looking for locations and there was a snake on the trail and we're like right we could do with this snake uh, we could do it to film it <laughs> so it's like you know having some um, knowledge about sort of snakes and identifying them um, I identified it as um, oh, I can't remember what it was now king snake or mountain king snake I think it's called um, and it was like red and black and yellow and and I picked it up and I just remember I was holding it and I just remember looking, I had enough time to just be like, think, wow, as it like dislocated its jaw and opened its mouth <laughs> and clamped itself onto my hand. <laughs> um, and I just, I couldn't get the thing off. Like it was in a really awkward angle. I just couldn't get the thing off me. Um, one of the guys I was with had to get it off. But it was in that moment that you like, because it looks almost identical to um, a coral snake, which for some people can be deadly, but at the very least, it's going to be excruciatingly painful. Um, and it's got, it's the same colours. They're just, the colours just happen in a different order. Uh, and, you know, in that moment, you're just like, oh God, I really hope like I've identified this correctly. <laughs> and this yeah. is a venomous one. And it's like the guys I was with as well, they couldn't quite remember either because they were like, no, we're sure it's not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I was just, I, we um, wrapped it. So you kind of, you can do like uh, lymphatic um, wrapping on it. It's basically a wrapping around it to try to slow the venom spreading through um, the lymphatic system. That's um, your hand, not the snake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, snakes now off the hand. <laughs> <laughs> let it go. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm wrapping, wrapping up my hand and up my arm. Basically, what I'm trying to do is slow um, any potential venom from getting to my heart. Um, and yeah, I, I'm just sitting there and like waiting, you know, so kind of half an hour really to just to see what happens. And it's kind of very slow, <laughs> um, half an hour. And um, you know, obviously, I'm still here. It was, it was fine. Um, but it was just in those moments you realise how quickly, you know, things can go wrong um, and, you know, how important it is to have an animal handler yeah. <laughs> rather than trying to play with these creatures ourselves. <laughs> it's Yeah, but I think what really fascinated me was the way that it, you just you just kind of accepted what had happened so quickly and sat and kind not not waited but you kind of there wasn't much else you could do so it was that where instead some people would probably absolutely panic and freak out but it was just the calmness that just okay you you could tell I could just imagine you sitting there just kind of calm while everybody else is kind of panicking around you about this snake um but it was just I just found it fun fun fantastic and so fascinating well there's there's absolutely no point like in those scenarios of panicking because it's not going to achieve you anything um and you know that that response comes from you know a lot of training and things and also the ability to be able to separate away your emotions um mm. but when you're in those scenarios and these are scenarios that i couldn't say they're everyday occurrences for me but you know certainly operating in uh, da- potentially dangerous environments or situations are um, and it's you know and it's really really important that I have learnt to manage my emotions like particularly you know when I'm looking after other people in these environments um, you know because like I said you know earlier things can snowball very very quickly um, and when you're managing you know a casualty or managing a scenario you have to be able to separate out your emotions and and stay calm you know it's because it's not just you know I've had quite a few 
experiences that are you know could have been life or death not just the snake but um you know I've, I've sort of been caught in um crossfire boring tribes and you know i've been shot at um by uh, sort of opium growers um that was in thailand uh, and ba- like various other scenarios like that uh, you know, which are the ones that obviously really stand out to people who are listening. But, you know, this is also something that I employ on an everyday basis anyway, you know, from when I'm working on the shoots and we're actually filming uh, and, you know, I'm in charge of the crew safety usually. Um, so I'm overseeing, you know, potentially 15, 16 people who are running around in quite a dangerous environment, all trying to do their job. And we're, you know, we operate a lot on cliffs um, and very steep, um, steep conditions and environments. And, you know, occasionally, well, very often actually we'll have, be working one-on-one. So I'll have, I'll be managing a safety team that are then looking after the the film crew. So we'll have, you know, one safety with a camera operator and they're attached to them on a rope. Um, And I usually work with the main camera operator so that I'm close to know, you know, where everybody needs to be to move around. It's like playing a game. It's awesome. (laughs) Moving (laughs) around in the terrain. Um, so, you know, so often I'll be strapped, you know, with a rope to uh, to a camera operator and I'll be climbing, you know, with him attached to me. Um, and I, I, you know, I have to kind of facilitate, you know, what we're doing. We, and we can't talk with this either because <laughs> it'll be all on, on camera. And in those situations, I have to be able to stay very, very calm because I have to know where, you know, each member of the crew, so each of those 16 people are and where their safety team members are as well so that I can move people around and keep people safe. Um, and it's like you, honestly you feel like you've got eyes in the back of your head <laughs> and it's amazing like being that calm and like I enter like a state of hyper awareness and it's the most incredible feeling I suppose it's kind of similar feeling to what I had in a way back in the Picos de Europa living under that boulder um, and it's like a hyper awareness of everything that's going on around me and where everybody is and you know I'm predicting it's kind of like stuff happens in slow motion because I'm predicting where you know where the presenter is going to need to go to or going to want to do next because they don't always do what was planned <laughs> and you know how I'm then going to get my team around around that um so constantly thinking ahead as well and it's just the most amazing um yeah hyper awareness all the senses firing at the same time I mean I imagine it's probably quite exhausting on the body systems <laughs> I need those rest days <laughs> yeah yeah I could honestly talk to you all day. Um, I just find it so fascinating. Um, just a little fun question, just as before we finish off today. And your your answer to this is probably going to be the most educated answer to this that I could I, I could possibly get. <laughs> but if you were stranded <laughs> on a desert island <laughs> with five people. I mean, you could just be stranded on a desert island on your own. Um, but if you, if you had to have five people with you, uh, who who would it be? <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a very good question. Um, well, so definitely like my partner, Stani. Uh, he does very similar work as, as I do. And uh, we work together a lot and we work together really, really well. Um, I would definitely have our friend Ross as well. He's also a survival expert and he's incredibly good spear fisherman <laughs> uh, so he'd be very very handy um so that's two people um who else would i take with me as well do you have anybody just for entertainment value <laughs> yeah to keep to keep us entertained um <laughs> they can be they can be dead or alive by the way oh okay oh well that opens 
that opens up for him. What about like the genie from like Aladdin's lamp <laughs> who can grant us wishes? <laughs> Not Robin Williams, but Robin the actual genie. The actual genie. <laughs> <laughs> Because then I could wish for more people, or I could maybe wish somebody off the island who's now. <laughs> so you got to three, two more. Oh, okay, two more people. Um, ah, it's really tricky, isn't it? Like to think of of people. Um, I definitely want another girl there. It'd be nice to have some female <laughs> company. So I probably, I'd probably take. Um, my sister actually, because she is a vet. And she would be brilliant, I think, at being able to fix us if there were any injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I'd probably take both my sisters. Both <laughs> one, sisters. One, yeah, yeah, one's a doctor, one's a vet. So I think it'd be like a good, good combination there. You guys are the perfect family to get shipwrecked, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, my, <laughs> my brother's an engineer as well. So it's, <laughs> yeah, we can uh, be pretty cool, like little wear team. You can definitely look after yourselves. Just to finish off, then, where can people find you? Just give us all the Mind of a Survivor is available on Amazon. Um, I, if you want to, if you'd like to interact with me, and I love hearing from people and hearing other people's stories and adventures, uh, I'm at Megan Hine on Instagram um, or Megan Hine on Facebook, and those are the best places to interact with me. If you're interested. Uh, in any expeditions um, I actually have uh, an expedition that's running next year that's open to the public September 2020 uh, out to Mongolia um, it's a horseback expedition uh, and we're going to spend time living with uh, families of eagle hunters and we're going to ride to the eagle hunting festival or the festival of the eagles uh, which is just going to be the most amazing um trip and we're taking a photographer as well who can get amazing shots of you but can also is also going to be teaching people how to get amazing shots of the landscape and these incredible local people in their natural environment i was reading that earlier and i was like oh my goodness it looks like the best trip ever so if you guys are interested i'd definitely go and and look it up that's on megan's website um yeah so just thank you again thank you so much for your time today and we managed to get through this whole interview without either of our dogs barking <laughs> you might still fast asleep oh well thank you so much meg and i will put all those links in the show notes as well and um yeah thank you so much thanks so much for having me bye